Hello, my name is Larry Lannon, the writer behind the local Fishers Indiana news blog, LarryInFishers.com. I started the blog in January of 2012, and it is still going. Four years after that, in 2016, I started the LarryInFishers.com podcast series featuring guests of local interest. That podcast is still going strong. Now, if you like the podcast and are listening on a platform such as iTunes, I'll just take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. It's time now for the latest LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm honored today to uh, have as a guest on uh, my podcast, Bob Hall. He's uh, a man with a varied career, probably best known as a comic illustrator and a storyteller within that uh, realm. So, Bob Hall, I'd like to welcome you to my local Fishers Indiana podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, we're here to talk about what, you know, an appearance that you're going to make. Uh, You'll be appearing at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers Saturday, January 21st. Uh, You'll be there for the Comic Book in a Day event. It goes from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. for the whole event, and you will be there for part of that time. So uh, we'll mention that again, and we hope that uh, people will take advantage of of the opportunity to uh, see you and speak with you. You Come see me. I enjoy uh, talking to people. So, oh, great! That's by all means. By all means, come show up. (laughs) We'll we'll mention it again, and I'm sure plenty of people will. Comic books uh, are popular amongst a lot of people. I grew up as a kid uh, with the paper route I shared with my brother, and uh, first thing I did when I collected, we used to collect door to door in those days. Mm-hmm. As soon as I had paid off the bill, I and, and we had our, our what was left, I went uh, down to the corner store. We had corner drug stores in those days and uh, bought some comic books. So I'm, I've been a fan of comics for a long time. Yeah, we had, uh, we had spinner racks when I was a kid that said, hey, kids, comics at the top. And there would be at grocery stores and, and drug stores. And I, I sort of knew which one you had to go to at what time of the month to get the particular ones that I wanted. So it was a... It was a search. Yeah, you had to you, you had to get in just in time. I, I agree right. with you. Uh, your story, and I've looked at your website, and I've I've looked at, at your story. You you say your story really starts in 1974, at least in the comics industry. You tell your story about how you got into that, and what fascinated me was I, I worked in radio broadcasting at that time as a young man, and I know I depended on a lot of people who mentored me in those days and uh, you say in your description of your career as it began that you had a lot of people mentoring you so what i'd like you to do is just tell us your story getting into uh, comic illustration storytelling in 1974 and you know just just how those mentors helped you along the way well the um i came into comics through the back door i was uh, a theater person and um I had gotten a BFA and an MA in theater and was on my way to uh, New York City. And I'm. uh, Hang on, I'm going to answer this. This is my agent. Okay, your agent is called. You know, I've been. been Go right ahead. I I was going to say. I am in the middle of a podcast. Can I call you right back? Uh. 
Oh yeah, I sent you something, but I'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll talk to you in just a minute. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> you know, I I did radio uh, interviews for years, and I've been using these podcasts for about six years. That is a first. That is a first for me, Bob. I've never had that ah. somebody's agent call while I'm talking to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, she just got me a Comic Con in Phoenix. Oh my gosh! So, well, we don't want uh, to deny you uh, an appearance. That's a, that's another uh, no, paycheck no, no, for no. you. This will be this will be just fine. But I am going to go go to my and uh, put myself on airplane mode. So that doesn't happen again. Okay, okay. that's fine. No, I, I I learned a long time ago to turn my phone off when I'm doing these. Yeah, but sometimes yeah, I, it's you know I forgot to do it. We all forget at times. But yeah, let's get back to the question. You know, because you said you oh, oh, got into uh, to comic illustration through the back door, right? And I was I was a theater person, and I was uh, studying to be a, a theater director. And I've never considered that the theater and comics were not compatible. Uh, because you learned storytelling to be a, a theater director. And uh, the fact that I had, had good training in storytelling enabled me really to survive in the comic book industry while I learned to draw. And uh, I, was, I was going to New York and um, went out to visit some friends and realized that there was a trap for people like me that grew up without a lot of money, that you would go to New York and survival became imperative and so you would get a job, usually as uh, a temp in an office, and then eventually they would get tired of you going to auditions or trying to get. And if the worst, the worst would be if you did get a job, because then you were out of your day job a lot of times. And I said, well, um, I don't want to go that route. I want to develop a marketable skill that I can do at home on my own time. And um so a friend of mine said, do you like comic books? And I said, I loved comic books when I was a kid, but I grew up in the era when you were supposed to stop reading comic books when you were about 12 or 13 years old. And so I did. And you were supposed to take up an interest in sports or girls or both. In my case, it was primarily girls. But uh, uh, I, I, I said, well, sure. And I remembered comics when I was a kid that they were some of them were very, very well drawn. The, the, the Donald Duck comics, the Disney ones, and and uh, various various other ones were well done. Others were kind of crude and, and not not that polished. And I thought, well, I can be crude and unpolished and manage that. I, I think I can go that far because I had been drawing the whole time. I, I did a lot of uh, study of scenery design and. Uh, costume design and actually put myself through school doing posters and um, programs of covers for the theater department. And uh, so I said, I think I'll probably do that. And then he showed me some of the stuff that was going on. And this was the early 70s, about 1970. And it was a renaissance in comics. There were just all of these wonderful people working. Uh, uh, the names, which may or may not have any meaning to your uh, listeners, but... Uh, uh, a guy named Barry Windsor Smith was the first stuff that I saw. He was drawing Conan. Brilliant, brilliant British artist. And uh, there was Jack Kirby, who had practically invented comics back in the 40s, and he was still at it. And in, in his heyday at Marvel, and a guy named John Buscema, who was uh, a, a marvelous draftsman, and Neil Adams, 
who was very inspirational. He just passed away this year, and he practically invented the way comics look now. And I looked at these and said, oh, I, I, I am not prepared to do this. I, I'm not good enough to do this, but I want to do it because it combined everything that I'd always done. And so I uh, started doing portfolios. In the meantime, I got jobs directing. And they, the, the jobs directing paid even less than the comic book industry did at that time. I think my first starting fee was $28 a page. Um, this is for the amount of work that goes into comics. That was, but that was it. It was, it was considered, still considered, the low end of being an illustrator back then. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. You got to tell stories, and that was a key for me. I was hooked by the idea that you told stories. So I, I put portfolios together and got rejected and put portfolios together and got rejected and put more portfolios together and got rejected and finally got some work for a company called Charlton where a lot of people broke in. Uh, they were not as popular as Marvel and they had cheaper paper and worse coloring, but they would hire you. And so I did a few jobs for them. And just about that time, this guy, John Gusema, who eventually ended up drawing Conan and Thor and the Avengers and just about anything else that Marvel ever did, John, at one time or the other, drew. And uh, there was an ad in the back of Marvel Comics, a little ad that said, John Buscema is teaching a course on how to draw comics. It'll be done uh, in, I believe it was the old Americana Hotel. I'm, I'm not quite sure anymore. But uh, And he was going to take a conference room and, and teach for a year. And it tur turned out, after I got to know him, it turned out that he was going to write this book called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way with Stan Lee. And this, he felt that in order to write that book, he had to teach because he knew how to draw, but he didn't think he knew how to teach. So I, I auditioned for the course. You had to take a portfolio in and I got in. And it turned out that I was in, in I, I was, I was really well positioned for the course because I was a little older. I could tell a story. And I had had some experience. And I think John had expected experienced artists to take the course and and just take their talents and their experience and move it into how to draw uh, sequential art, which is the fancy name for comics. Uh, but that wasn't the case. It was all fans. It was, it was the time when fans were entering, who had grown up on comics, were getting into the business. And... Like I said, I was a little older. I was a little experienced. I had actually done a couple of comics. So at the end of the class, John wanted somebody from that class to get a job at Marvel, and it was me. Well, and he good got for me you. Job at Marvel. Look, if I could and, just if I could just interject something here because I want to. I'm done now. That, that's it. Oh, okay. That's, kind of life <laughs> that's story. a great story. There's nothing uh, more to be said. I have uh, interviewed uh, a number of book authors in my time, but I find your your craft very different you not only tell the story by writing dialogue but you illustrate the story and you're able to to tell that story with that part of it as well so does do you think that gives you as an illustrator an advantage in telling a story over those who are just using the printed word no okay it, it, <laughs> it's it, it's just different it's i i as i get older and older prefer to read books than comics, uh, probably because I, I read so many comics when I was doing it, but also because, uh, and I don't know if this has to do, I think everybody who reads books 
the one thing that that does is you have to imagine what what the people are like, what the setting is like. If something is set in, in New Orleans, it's your New Orleans, um, and you're you're making that up, uh, and and it's all in your head. And what I get to do is read a, a script or synopsis, and I get to see it in my head and then try to put it on paper. So that's that's the big difference. Um, it's it's kind of fascinating because in the theater the you learn that the dialogue is what you have to write dialogue that moves things forward and you have to be careful of over of too much exposition and all that stuff i just for instance did a um a comic project for a company called valiant and i both wrote it and drew it and i created a synopsis for the story and then wrote the dialogue and was was making sketches at the same time but when it finally came to adding the dialogue, I kept looking at the pictures and saying, nope, don't need that, don't need that, I'll cut that, I'll cut that, because the pictures were telling a part of the story that I almost automatically wrote in in the first draft of, of, of what I was doing. And, but, but they were almost notes for me as to what to draw. And I, I, you know, I would have stuff like, I was 10 years old, that was an over. There's a lot of first-person narration in this one. I was 10 years old, and I looked and said, "No, the kid is obviously what I've drawn. This is obviously a kid of nine or 10 years old. I don't need that. I can get rid of that. I can get rid of that." And you get if you're both writing and drawing, you want to get rid of a lot of it because it covers up the art, which you spent more time on than anything else. So it's 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 just different. I want to ask you something about uh, about the work you do when you're. I would think to myself, looking at your background, you've created characters yourself in some of your work, and yet in other parts of your work, you, you're actually drawing and telling the story of a character everybody knows. Everybody knows a Batman or a Spider-Man, mm -hmm. but you, so you're taking that story and moving that forward to another place, yet you know, there, in your career, you've also created characters. Talk about the difference of approach when you're doing one or the other. Well, the... Um when I worked for Marvel, I primarily drew, and I just avoided writing. I don't know why. I, I, I think it was because I was doing, at that time, I was almost 50-50 doing theater and the comics, and adding one more thing to the comics would have just tipped the balance in a certain direction. Uh, and th there you just had to be sure that you were, you didn't have to draw, you drew your Captain America, but it had to look like a universal version of Captain America as well. And those two things were not incompatible, uh, but, but it was an inter interesting problem. You had a, again, you had a Captain America in your head, but it better be something compatible with the Marvel model sheets of Captain America too. Interesting. Um, interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious about this because you started in the mid seventies and you still do work on this today. How has technology changed the way you do this work? Um, well, the big change is that um, nobody wants the originals anymore, which uh, you, you, you send in files. And it, it, it works out the same way because people gave you back your art. You know, eventually you got the art returned and then you could sell it uh, to, to fans and collectors. Um, but now you, you just never even send that art in. You're, you're expected to 
Now, now some artists have gone completely digital, and I have occasionally done that. Uh, part of it is just part of why I, I don't all the time is mercenary, because I like being able to sell those pages afterwards. Um, but, but also, I'm just used to, after years and years in the business, I'm used to doing it, to inking, for instance, a comic by hand, inking and drawing it by hand. Uh, I can do it digitally. Sometimes certain things work out better digitally, and I, I tend to know which ones are, those are. Um, but you have to, eventually, you, you must go digital. So because you are, it used to be we had all these people, uh, they were for the production people in the office. You would send in your uh, inked page, and they would take care of making sure that they massaged it so that it was printable, and they would look around to say, okay, that line is not going to uh, read and then strengthen it a little bit. And, and th that all happened in the office. Now it's expected that you will do that work before you turn it in. So that's a big change. Uh, so that one way or the other, you must, you must go digital in some form. Um, I was looking at the uh, brief bi autobiography, I would call it, uh, that's been placed on your website, and you explain what happened to the comics industry in the 1990s. Let me quote you. Comics companies had retooled to support a collector's market, and when that market collapsed, so did the industry. Valiant went under, and Marvel went bankrupt, end of quote. Hard to believe Marvel went bankrupt with the movie deals they're getting today, but that was uh, the case at that time. And explain yeah, what, I, and what, that, what did that mean for your career? It meant that my career came to a grinding halt for a while. Uh, I ended up uh, starting a Shakespeare festival in uh, my hometown. Uh, I was... I was actually, I had taken advantage of, of the collector's market because we were all making probably the best money any of us made ever. In our now, I just I just turned this off. Why is that doing you? I must. Okay. That's Hang okay. on. Is, uh, Paula, was, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a podcast. Can I call you right back? Uh, hope I didn't take another gig away from you there. No, that's my wife. Oh, okay. She's not a <laughs> okay. Uh, that's but, an important call too. I understand. But okay, now I now I find that I found out that things will still ring when they're in a, <laughs> I thought when they were in airplane mode they wouldn't ring. So I just have to uh, turn the, the the ringer off. Now I've done that. Okay, okay. We, we learn as we go along. Isn't here. this exciting? Isn't this exciting, folks? You're getting my, a, a taste of my entire life. My agent <laughs> called and my wife called. The two most important people in my life. That's probably, uh, yeah. I never had an agent, but a wife I do have, of course. But uh, please go on. You, you, you talk about going into a Shakespeare festival in, in your adopted hometown after the comics uh, industry, the bottom fell out of that. Well, this was a weird time of my life. I was. Uh, because we were making good money and I was under contract to Valiant at the time, uh, I went to live in, I wanted to, I'd always wanted to live overseas. And I, I went and lived in England and in both England and Ireland, um, moved around a couple of times to get it all in and found, cause it was, it was one of the first times when you could comfortably work from another country from overseas it was not the internet uh, back then it was more fax and fedex that allowed you to do it uh then but when when the internet finally came along it didn't matter where you were uh and while i was overseas both i could see 
slowly the print runs hit Valiant got smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, and the, uh, at the same time, uh, I found out through various means that are not worth going into that I had, that I was adopted. And you've got to understand, I was like in my fifties at this point, my parents were long gone. I had one remaining aunt who revealed this and thought before she kicked off that I should always have known this. And so I thought, okay, when I go back, I'm going to go to my hometown and live there for maybe six months, Lincoln, Nebraska, and just see what I can find out. And I did. And that was when the industry really just went under. And I was out of work with Valiant. Well, I wasn't out with work with Valiant. Valiant didn't exist anymore. And um, I was there, and I got I, I started getting some work for DC, uh, uh, Batman work. Uh, but my editor retired, and then they weren't calling me after that for a long time. And I had the chance to start a Shakespeare festival and something I'd always wanted to do to go back to. Now, I'd never really given up the theater totally. But then for a while, that was mainly what I did for about a, a decade before. Uh, I actually ran it for 15 years, but somewhere about the 10th year, comic book work started happening again in various ways. But it was a while. They retooled a lot in trying to rejigger the... Uh, the business and uh, in order to both and, and in order to save money, they decided, well, we need it. We need things to look different. And they started hiring younger and younger people. And it also, they could pay them less. And uh, so it was a while before some of us old timers started getting work again. But what did happen then were comic cons and comic conventions have taken over for a lot of us we actually make more money doing comic cons than we could doing comics, which is wrong, but that's the way it is. Well, that explains uh, the, the phone call you just received from your agent. Uh, you have another comic con coming on. And I did want to ask, I did want to ask about that because that's been a fairly new phenomenon. I know here, uh, Fishers is a suburb to the Indianapolis area. We have a lot of these uh, conventions that come to Indianapolis as well as other yeah, I've cities. Done, I've been in Indianapolis several times. Um, which I like. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. I hope you like Fishers too. But I, I, I do want to ask about that. That is a different, as you just said, that's a very different sort of experience. What is it like to, to be at a comic con and what are you expected to do there? Uh, you're expected to um, draw for people and you get commissions. People come and commission you to do usually their favorite superhero uh, sometimes they'll want me to draw their cat or, or something like that, which is always a relief. I enjoy that. Sometimes some of these people who do these amazing costumes will want to be drawn. But generally, no. It's generally it's nostalgia. So at a Comic-Con, I am on the whole nostalgia. And I keep meeting people who I would swear look older than me who say that I influenced their youth with this or that comic. And... Uh, uh, They'll bring me comics to sign, and then people will. I'll, I'll have a commission list, and people will get on the commission list, and I'll draw for them. And I also take posters of the stuff that I've done, and 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 sell some of those. And so, um, and I'm usually invited, and um, my generally the promoter pays my way, and 
So it's it's fun. The the most fun about it, I think, for me, is getting to know people I've worked with all my life but have never met. Because we're cartoonists, we sit in our basements alone and draw. And if if we need to talk to our the writer or to another artist, we call them on the phone. And so I've become friends with people who were just colleagues because I finally got to, to meet them and we go out for dinner and and, and usually drink too much and, <laughs> and sit around and, t- and tell lies. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, they're, they're great fun in that way. Plus meeting the fans. I, I find, I find that most of the comic book fans are very gracious and very nice people. And they're thrilled to meet people who had done this work that they, that they have loved for years, but they've never met them. And, and so they, mm-hmm. it, they're, 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 they're a lot of fun. I, oh. I they can get to be tired after you've done about the 15th one of the year. Oh, I can't uh, even imagine what that's like. I, I do want to ask you this. Uh, do you find that young people have interest in the old comics, or is it mostly people who remember those comics from their childhood? I would say the majority of them are that. The majority of them are, are, are people who remember them from their childhood. But uh, there are also people who... Um, uh, young people who are just getting into it, especially people who's now those guys who say they were raised on my comics are bringing their kids, and and the ones the, the, those guys that have remained comic book fans, I say guys because it's mostly guys. Although I, we get a lot of um, a lot more women are interested. It seems like that grows every year. Uh, for a long time, it was just thought that the comic book industry was primarily a boy-man market. That is not true anymore, thank God. And and so I'm getting a lot of uh, uh, fans from both from both sexes, uh, and uh, or however many sexes there are, uh, and and that's that's wonderful. Uh, and and it's it's most fun when kids come in, and I love looking at kids' portfolios. Kids will bring me their portfolios to look over, and that's always that's well, always fun. And that brings me to the question I was about to ask you, because uh, and when you started in 1974, it was a different industry than it is today. But you're still sort of in tune what's going on. Uh, when people come to you to these conventions and may come to you when you come to Fishers and ask you, how do you uh, get into doing this kind of work? What would you tell them today? Um. I don't that I don't know uh, because it's so different from when I was uh, trying to break in. But I can give them some advice, which is connect with people who are active in the business right now. I do not count myself among them. Uh, I do a lot of work. I just finished doing some work this week, but I don't do it on a regular basis and probably don't want to do it anymore. I've stayed up till 3 a.m. in the morning for the last time. I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, but you find find your favorite artists, seek them out. Don't be shy. Uh, uh, shyness is sort of the end of the the enemy of getting work. So seek out your favorite artists. Uh, find out where when they're appearing at a convention, or if if they aren't there, find out who are your other favorite artists that are there. And and if you don't know any of them, look up at what they've done. And, you know, go to your comic book store and say, oh, okay, um, Larry Hama is coming to this convention. I'll look up what Larry Hama did and be able to ask to talk to these people somewhat intelligently. 
they all love the fact that you know what they did. And that's why you need to do that. Look, look at their work, be able to comment on it, show them your portfolios, take their advice, and don't argue with them. Uh, that's the one thing that you kind of run into is, is that there will occasionally be somebody who insists that, but, but my art teacher told me I was really good, you know, and, and most of the time I think people are, are pretty kind. And so I don't think you need to be too worried. People will give you, I, I like to give people hints. I like to look at people's portfolio and say, look, if you see where this line runs into this line, now if you just moved it over here, this, this character would seem to be in front of the wall, but now they're all running together and, you know, stuff like that that you can, that's pretty, pretty basic advice. A lot of the best advice is very simple and very basic. There's not, there's, there, there is not a lot of secrets about how to draw. It really is about circles and squares and triangles and shapes and stuff. It's just kind of hard to get that across. Uh, people will come and they want to know, you know, how do you draw hands? Well, I do this shape or stuff. Yeah, yeah, but how do you draw the hand? when it looks, Well, no, you have to start with this shape. And that was the hardest thing for me to learn. And it's the hardest thing for most people to learn because when you draw, most of the time, what you, what you recognize as what you're trying to draw is the detail. And that's the last thing you should be doing. You should be starting with shapes, layout, everything. If you get that right, the rest of it is a lot easier to do. Well, as a person who loved comics as a kid, this has been a great conversation for me, and I hope others enjoyed it too. Anything you would like to add as our time's just about out? Uh, just to um, come see me uh, when, I, when I'm appearing, and uh, uh, whatever I can do, if you're, if you're a drawer, bring me your drawings, and, uh, and I will do some sketches for you. So... Show up, and we'll have a lovely, lovely time. Well, speaking of that, uh, Bob Hall will be appearing at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers on Saturday. That's uh, I'm yeah, Saturday, January 21st. It's Comic Book in a Day. That's the event. And uh, Bob Hall, it's been such a joy talking to you today. Look forward to having you in Fishers, and thanks for your time. Will I see you there? Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you'd like to comment on my blog, please do so with any suggestions. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind.